Why are technology-neutral auctions not really technology-neutral? And why did only six countries apply auctions for renewable energy in 2005, when 84 did so in 2017? You'll find out today where we're going in-depth with renewable energy auctions. Welcome to Energy Policy Cast, research-based dialogues on the many sides of energy policy. We're back after a summer break with a longer episode than usual. I'm your host, Daniel Sneum, from Technical University of Denmark Sustainability Division. Today, it's our special pleasure to be joined by senior researcher Lena Kitzing. Lena is the new group leader of the Energy Economics and Regulation Group at Technical University of Denmark. And she's also been leading the now finalized Aorus project, which we're going to discuss today. Furthermore, Lena is also part of the Aorus 2 project, which you will also hear more about today. This is an extremely interesting subject, since this addresses one of the main bottlenecks in the green transition, namely the matter of uh, financing. But before going into detail with the research, let's start out with a bit of background on uh, Lena. Yes, hi, thank you. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, maybe I can just start from the beginning. Um, I uh, grew up in Germany and I got interested in energy, renewable energy, pretty pretty early, already in high school, I guess. <laughs> so um, when it was time to decide on uh, finding a study line to uh, to start out with, I, I searched specifically for something with renew- renewable energy and I found... Um, that course in, uh, at the University of Flensburg uh, um, about uh, energy and enri- environmental management, which I uh, attended. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you have to uh, <laughs> think back. It was in 2001 when I started to study. Um, a lot of the energy markets uh, haven't even been liberalized yet, and the renewable energy was a really, really small <laughs> niche uh, of development. So I was very happy uh, I could find that and uh, I haven't regretted anything <laughs> from there. Um, yeah, it was a quite small university and we had great uh, great courses about energy trading and renewables and um, yeah, I got really hooked by it, I have to say. Um, when I was finished, I started, oh, so maybe I, yeah, I did my master thesis uh, at an applied research institute, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess maybe I also had to say, I, maybe a hint that I would like to work in academia at some point. But um, I also felt that and I experienced that um, uh, for me, it didn't make a lot of sense to do applied research uh, within a subject that I didn't know so much about. And that was the energy and industry, the sector and investments and renewables. And so I decided actually to work uh, in the energy industry for a while, maybe a, a year or two. <laughs> Ended up being more than five years, but uh, <laughs> I also had a great, uh, great time yeah. um, developing uh, renewable energy projects, um, first in Germany, and then I moved to Denmark uh, with uh, Dong Energy at that time, Erste now. Mm-hmm. We did um, uh, a lot of uh, developments of offshore wind projects where, where I was involved in uh, in the kind of preparing them for investment decisions, um, mostly on the economic financial side as well. So, so that was, that was quite a quite an exciting time. And then I um, I found this uh, opportunity for doing a PhD in uh, at DTU here um, in 2011, and I did that. Um, it kind of fit very well into um, what I've done before. Um, so I looked into risk implications of energy policy, and I used uh, offshore wind energy as a as a, as a case, as an example. Um, I did that because um, during my work uh, uh, with uh, offshore wind investments, I kind of uh, realized that, I mean, obviously, um, energy policy and uh, support policies were super important uh, mm-hmm. for uh, for the investment decision. And what I could also see is that uh, there was a lot of um, competition between the policymakers regarding um, how to attract uh, <laughs> the investments uh, in their country. And... Um, 
well, I, I did feel that there was some some kind of a mismatch, and I wanted to learn more about it. And um, I, I got interested in in, in this whole um, area of designing policies, <laughs> and uh, and I'm still I'm still working in that area. So um, first, obviously, it was around. Um, um, feed-in tariffs uh, and the more traditional support schemes um, where I didn't did my PhD. Uh, um, and then later uh, with uh, with auctions, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so you certainly have a very solid foundation for, for <laughs> the stuff that we're going to discuss and, and the, the projects that you've initiated. So today we're going to discuss two different projects. Mm. One is uh, ARIS, and second that we're going to discuss later is RS2. And uh, RS1 finished in uh, 2017. Yes. And as I understand, you uh, you looked at uh, 20 different in-depth case studies uh, and did simulations and, and uh, other methods to, to address exactly what? <laughs> Well, I mean, um, the idea came up with the project, um, I think it was in, in 2014, um, when we saw that um, in Europe we had, um, we were kind of on the edge or on the verge of a, a, a major shift in renewable energy policy mm. um, from, away from feed-in tariffs that we've seen before or administratively set feed-in tariffs into a more uh, market-based um, competitive system. And that was, uh, uh, quite a lot of it was being pushed by the European Commission um, and also been um, maybe formalized in the new state aid guidelines that were being formulated at that time. Mm. And then we felt it was, uh, it was a good um, idea um, to create a, a research project around it uh, at a European level. Um, with different partners, I think from six or seven different countries uh, uh, in Europe, um, to specifically uh, look at um, the implications of um, renewable energy um, support in uh, auctions. So um, by that time, not many countries have had tried to do uh, auctions on renewable energy support. And um, now the plan was to roll that out uh, within a couple of years' time. Um, so we wanted to be part of that uh, and uh, investigate uh, the design of that um, and uh, maybe also uh, support uh, policymakers uh, on uh, on that kind of rollout. And mm -hmm. uh, I think the European Commission... Uh, uh, did also think that was a good idea, so they financed the project. Yes. Uh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe you just uh, touched upon some of the reasons already, but as you stated in, in one of your papers, in, in 2005, six countries applied auctions for renewable energy, and what you found in 2017 was that 84 countries mm. uh, had implemented some sort of auction for renewables. Can you just maybe touch upon why, why do you think this development has happened? Yeah, I think the short answer would be that um, renewables have reached a scale that they started to matter. Mm. And uh, we've seen that in many uh, European countries, especially here in the Nordics as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, maybe there are two distinct um, developments that had happened is that uh, the technologies themselves, they have um been maturing over the dec last decades, and the prices have fallen quite a lot. So they they were starting um, to um, to become more competitive, so that um, uh, people started talking about how can we um, how can we uh, bring the renewable investments into a more competitive environment than they had been before. Mm -hmm. Um, that was the one uh, development, and the other uh, was that um, yes, renewables have started to—they um, um, they have been a huge success story uh, in Europe, which also means then that they have come up to a scale that um, uh, the everyday customer um, was starting to notice renewable support on their electricity bills. And uh, it became a political topic uh, that was uh, in the discussion. Okay, so oh, these uh, 
costs that we are, or the, the, the payments that we are giving to renewable energy projects are actually um, starting to become visible. Um, um, so there was this, um, there was this uh, starting feeling that um, these uh, to to manage these costs in a more structural, systematic way. I think that's kind of my interpretation of, mm. uh, of the situation back then. And um, yeah, uh, so so in in some sense, when you start, you want to um, manage or control these um, <laughs> the payout of the support to new installations. Um, um, auctions are an obvious and interesting choice uh, to do that, and, um, and they also create competition and create a bit more market environment. So, so, so that is kind of the, the that was the instrument to go to, <laughs> you could say. Sure. Uh, uh, in regards of the trends that were emerging. So you say that that auctions were sort of the obvious choice. Uh, auctions obviously have been applied in in many different uh, settings and many different. Uh, times uh, bef- before uh, entering the, the re- renewables field. Perhaps we can just briefly discuss uh, some of the, the concepts and, and the terms that, that are applied in, in auctions. Uh, first of all, maybe you can just distinguish the difference bet- between auctions and tenders uh, in, in the case of, of renewable energy auctions. Um, yes, I think it's um, there is maybe not one common definition. Um, so what we have um, investigated or come up with um, is that um, so we consider auctions as a term to be uh, uh, spanning the broad subject of procuring uh, new renewable energy capacity through a competitive uh, bidding mechanism. Mm. So um, when you use the word tender, uh, we understand it in in a m- more narrower sense. You can say, depending on uh, how you want to procure that um, new uh, renewable energy capacity, and um, you typically in a tender you would create or specify several different uh, conditions uh, mm. based on which you would select. Um, the winning project, the one that you want to ha- uh, want to uh, support, sure. And um, uh, so, so yeah, so so those could be several different ones. Obviously, um, when we talk about um, economic auctions, um, we would typically think that price is the criteria, the main criterion to um, to select projects. So, the one that can deliver energy the cheapest should mm. be the one to be selected. And um, in the tendering, the tender gives you the opportunity to add different criteria on top of that. Okay, but that 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 seems pretty clear to me. So auctions as sort of the umbrella term for for the whole concept that we are addressing or you are mm. addressing, and then tender as a subset of, of more detailed uh, criteria that that you set up in in specific settings. That's how we understand it. Yeah, great. Yes. Um, this is not to say that uh, you, you don't see um, tender <laughs> specifications, specifications or tender material that has prizes. It's only criteria. No sure. Thing. No, but I, I guess it's just yeah. to, to agree on the terminology because mm. even though we are in a technical university, uh, terminology varies a lot between different uh, places in ac- academia and, and industry. Continuing on the path of, of terms, uh, you may have different formats of auctions. You, you mentioned in, in one of your papers, uh, single item or multiple item auctions. Uh, can you just maybe put that in the context of, of ORIS and then auctioning? Yes. Um, when you... <laughs> when So maybe we can just imagine the situation that um, you are... Um, a policymaker, and you um, you would like to so you have a target of um, installing maybe you could say 500 megawatts of new capacity, uh, new renewable capacity next year, and um, you could of course um, so in the in in the old times <laughs> what you uh, what the policymaker or maybe then the um, energy authority um, under the ministry or so what they would have done is to um, <laughs> to to calculate the required support level um, that they have to offer um, on the market, 
um, so that uh, investors would come and um, uh, develop the project. And then they would hope that the 500 megawatts would be reached. Sure. Um, and um, when you switch to the auctioning system, what you would do is then you would uh, say, okay, well, I have uh, 500 megawatts that I need to be auctioned. Um, and you would put out that volume uh, into the market and say, okay, I'm going to support 500 megawatts of new renewable capacity next year. Um, who is going to take it? Mm. Who can? Who could deliver that uh, 500 megawatts uh, to the cheapest price? And um, and that's basically how <laughs> how the auction would work. And um, well, depending on the policy uh, that you have, the political targets that you have in your country, you might uh, have a target that says, okay, I need to have 500 megawatts of offshore wind. And uh, we know that offshore wind parks are fairly big. So um, there you would probably uh, auction out a single item, which is one offshore wind site in a particular area. Where, you, where one developer can de develop a 500 megawatt park. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have those offshore sites or um, your target is more on um, solar energy, for example, um, what, uh, what you might want to do is to, to offer 500 megawatts of solar development uh, or supporting the development of solar for that amount. And then uh, the uh, project developers would bring in come with their own projects, with their own project location, their own sizes. And um, and here, obviously, you would you would not expect that one project would be 500 megawatts. So you would have multiple winners in the project. So that would be a multiple item. Oh, I see. Auction. Yeah. Okay. So you would select all the all the uh, the projects that that can de deliver uh, to the cheapest price until you have reached your volume. Sure. Clear and simple. <laughs> <laughs> then you may have different auction types. Uh, you may have dynamic auctions or you may have static auctions. How, how does that work? Yeah, well, I, now I, I told you that um, you as a policymaker, you might have a t specific target for a technology like offshore wind or, or solar or so. And um, um, by my explanations, you might also have already... Um, guess that um, in the project that we have been doing uh, in the Oris project, we have taken a very pragmatic approach to, okay, well, okay, let's assume there is a policymaker who wants to implement an auction. How can we do that best? Mm. How should the auction be designed? So what we not have done in that specific project is to assess, like on a broader economic uh, basis, is this a good idea or um, what would be the optimum or the, the, the most the, the efficient way of uh, allocating support, for mm. example? Mm. Um, because, I mean, you could argue that auctions is also a, a very flexible instrument to, for example, go away from technologic specific support. So where, where you as a policymaker decide uh, which technology uh, you should support at which level that you can uh, accumulate um, all of the different um, uh, technologies and just say, okay, well, I have a, a certain support budget here, and I would like to um, I would like to get the maximum amount of energy out of renewable energy out of that. Mm. Um, that is also um, a well-known argument for going into auctions in the first place because uh, typically um, the market knows best. <laughs> what uh how to to uh how to uh, find the the cheapest projects across the different technologies so that that could also be a way of scoping it right so you mm. could uh, in multi technology uh, or multi item auctions you could just allow uh multi technology bids so that would be then having a broader scope of the auction mm -hmm. so then you could allow um solar and wind and biomass projects to compete against each other if that's a good idea it's another question mm. um but uh, that would be possible as well so there are lots of options regarding it. And uh, in the project, we, of course, have uh, looked into different ones. And um, yeah, based on this pragmatic approach, okay, you as a policymaker, you have certain um, policy targets that need to be fulfilled. Um, how can you get the best out of it? Mm. Like, how can you design the auction in the best way? And um, there are a lot of different design 
elements that you have to attend to. And for example, the pricing rule is one or the format is one. So which format do you decide for the auction? So um, I'd be happy to discuss that now. <laughs> yeah, sure. But yeah, yes. but let, let's mm. go into, uh, you mentioned pricing rule um, as, as one uh, one t- subject. So I suppose when when you uh, place a bid as, as a bidder, I understand that you can either have uh, uniform pricing or pay a bid. Uh, I know those terms a bit from the power markets, but yeah. what does that? Uh, how does that work in in the auctioning? Yeah, I mean um, you're completely right. I mean in that sense, you could also say that um, the electricity market, uh, the pool is uh, is sort of an auctioning system <laughs> where you place bids and uh, um, and get contracted for delivering. Your bit, your bit energy within an hour, and that electricity market, at least in uh, in the European settings, you have typically a, a marginal pricing system where um, everyone um, places their bids, and then um, the electricity, the resulting electricity price, is the same for everyone, mm. no matter what you have bid. Sure. Um, and uh, you could design the auction in the same way, so you could. Um, p- no matter what uh, what uh, the 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 bids uh, have been, um, uh, pay out the same support level for all of the um, uh, winners, mm. and that's um, um, yeah certainly a, a way of doing it. Um, the the second option would be to um, to pay as bid, um, so that each um, winner receives the support payment that they have bid for in the auction right and there are different implications uh, towards each of those um, both from a theoretical side and also a practical side uh, maybe just um, uh, from the practical side what we've seen in the early uh, auction implementations with uh, uniform pricing is that we've always seen people uh, bidding zero all right and that's um uh, of course, it could be strategy, um, and but um, when you think about it, obviously, if you don't believe that you are the marginal bidder, the mm. one who is being um, the last to win, um, the marginal bidder would be the one who's setting the price for all the others. So if you just want to be in, hoping or expecting that you're not the marginal bidder, it doesn't. It's it almost doesn't matter what you bid, uh, as long as you're below the highest higher bidder, and of course. Um, uh, we didn't like that very much because uh, we've seen then some some auction outcomes where the price resulted in zero where <laughs> maybe it shouldn't have done. Yeah. Yes. Can you d- disclose uh, where are, is that a European context? Well, we have investigated the Spanish uh, Spanish early auctions uh, in that regard, and there there is a mm. there is a report uh, right. on that on the Oris homepage if you're okay. more interested in that. That's going to be interesting reading. <laughs> You mentioned a, a popular term that has uh, popped up in the debate uh, occasionally, which is technology neutral auctions. So maybe we should just cover that term as well and, and the implications that, that uh, are attached to, to that. Some people favor it. Some people may be more skeptical towards uh, what, what it can and cannot do. Yes, I mean, as a um, as an... As an instrument, um, there there is a certain economic appeal towards um, uh, pooling different technologies together because then you can uh, you you get yeah, what the economists call efficient outcomes, so that the, um, the the technologies who can deliver at the lowest price are also selected, no matter which technology it is. Mm. So um, I think that's what people refer to when they say technology neutral auctions, um, so that they are pooled, uh, different technologies are pooled together in one uh, with the same rules for everyone participating in the auction, no matter if, if it's a PV or uh, offshore plant. I can imagine it, yes. it mm-hmm. there must be some uh, some issues with that for instance uh let's say that you're a uh, have a solar industry in in a country or a wind or whatever other technology mm-hmm. and in some auctions you win and in some you lose it it must be quite a a bumpy ride or a, like a stop go uh, uh problem that that you run into if if you're not entirely certain whether you have a market the next year or the year after 
Um, yes, that, that's that's one of the uh, that's one of the implications that it could have because there was no guaranteed um, build out for each of the technologies mm. anymore. Maybe um, coming back to the to the word technology neutral, um, what what I would argue for is that I have not seen any technology neutral auction, mm. um, and maybe it doesn't exist really because maybe what would exist is a rule neutral (laughs) uh, uh, auction that has applies the same rules to all the technologies but that doesn't mean that it it places the technologies on a level playing field with each other uh, because um, the auction can only consider or take into account what you uh, put into the criteria uh, for selection and um, typically that's only the price of uh, support that you require uh, on top of the market price or instead of the market price, depending on the uh, on the design, mm. um, f- for in in order for you to be able to build uh, the new capacity, and um, that is a pure market price. So a compensation for uh, the energy produced, a direct product. However, there is a lot more consequences and implications of uh, installing the capacity on the system. There are system integration costs and benefits, uh, all sorts of other things um, that are not priced into that market. So even if you put the rules neutral or uh, or the same, that doesn't mean that you're creating a level playing field because you could argue that, for example, uh, solar energy and wind energy have very different um, system integration costs. Mm. And if you don't take that into account, the auction itself is not technology neutral. And if you're taking biomass into it, it's even more so because you can control it and there is not that sort of of, uh, imbalance um, uh, issues uh, with it as well. So um, in that sense, you could say that you favor one or the other technology by placing the rules sure. the same. So, <laughs> yeah. so that I like that, that you pose a fundamental challenge to the term uh, technology neutral. And I certainly see the arguments that you make that, that you should apply that term with quite a lot of caution or at least some uh, caveats as, as you just uh, applied with the, the ruling and system integration costs, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's not, uh, it's, uh, so what we typically refer to um, multi-technology auctions or technology pooling. Um, and um, um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that that's just the terminology. I mean, I'm um, I'm not saying that one or the other, um, I mean, it's a, it's a better idea or not. I think it depends very much on, on the market situation you are, on the matureness of the technology, maturity of the technologies and so on. So um, uh, not to uh, question the concept itself, <laughs> more the terminology. Behind sure. It, so perhaps we can leave it to the politicians to apply poly- technology neutral, whereas the policymakers maybe should apply the more correct uh, <laughs> technology pooling or, or similar terms. Stepping on to the next uh, question, um, the term "winner's curse" uh, have have has appeared, um, and uh, perhaps you can just explain because uh, being a winner in an auction is usually connected with something positive, but but <laughs> yes. uh, maybe not always. Yeah, I mean the the term "winner's curse" that's nothing um, specific to energy auctions or renewable energy auctions that that it can occur in any auction um, where you have common value elements. Um, And uh, we can see that the renewable energy auctions are are actually um, quite high on common value elements. For example, if you look into um, PV, um, uh, photovoltaics, capacity when you uh, when you develop these uh, these projects um, the project developers are now starting to compete with each other mm. um, so they have to develop not only a project that is cheap enough to be able to um, be profitable under a feed-in tariff uh, which had been set by policymakers but now they have to be a developer project that is cheaper um, than that of their competitors, so that they can um, they can be awarded in the auction, and um, that's all what auctions are about, right? You need to have that competition, um, and that is also one of the dynamics that they are creating. Um, um, but um, when you when you look into the project itself, um, the question is how much control 
do project developers have about this um, about the project itself? Because um, a major part of the uh, of the, the project is uh, PV module mm. PV module cost, and that's maybe half of the project cost, roughly. Um, and they all procure <laughs> the modules, so that that is actually a common uh, a common cost element. And then on the other hand, you also have common values. Um, if we assume that the support is being paid out as a premium uh, on top of market prices. Um, they all sell the same electricity on the same market and they receive the same uh, value for it. Mm. So um, obviously there are small deviations when you're selling, where you place, what your resource availability is. And of course, that is the competition. What's the competition about? How can, well can you do the project? But uh, there are high common value elements mm. uh, uh, in the auction. And um, when you look at uh, when you take uh, the electricity price, for example, um, uh, your uh, when you calculate the bid in the auction, you would um, uh, uh, you would be influenced very much. But what you ex by what you expect, you are able to receive as electricity price on the market. Sure. And um, if you think that you are going to earn a lot on the on the electricity. Uh, market instead of um, relying on the support payments you will obviously be inclined to place a lower bid on the required support payment mm. and the auction that we are looking at here they are only on the support side so then you are um, you're giving a low bid in the support and that means that you are um, you're very likely to win sure <laughs> so um, what it happened what happens is um, uh, obviously, is that the the projects or the the bidders, those bidders are selected that have a very optimistic worldview hmm. on the electricity prices in the future. All right, so the optimists may <laughs> win, but they may end up being punished for for their optimism. Uh, uh, well, there is a certain risk to it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. the winner's curse. Yeah. Um, that that's uh, that's part of it, right? So they might uh, they might uh, end up being uh, becoming bankrupt mm. because of that. Mm. Mm. Moving on uh, to, uh, to to the design of auctions, um, you mentioned some of the criteria that can go into an auction. Typically, it's for instance uh, euros per megawatt hour uh, of subsidy that they require, or. Uh, per megawatt or some kind of, uh, let's say, state budget for uh, this auction. When when designing uh, auctions, is there a limit on, on the criteria that can be added on? Because I suppose there is a lot of political priorities or someone favors certain areas or technologies, etc. Can these all go in, into uh, this kind of auction design that... that you address with uh, Oris? Yes, well, so in we have investigated very different designs or potential designs of auctions. Um, in principle, you could use it for any kind of support payment. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we've seen investment grants that can be auctioned out. Um, the most dominant support type that we we have in Europe is um, a euro per megawatt hour premium. And that is what we also typically see, what we are focused on uh, in the auctions that is being auctioned out. Mm. So um, that is the the right to receive this euro per megawatt hour premium over a certain um, period when producing uh, this electricity from the newly installed capacity. So um, so uh, that would be um, the uh, the auctioned. Uh, unit, you can say. So um, the bid would then be placed for, okay, I'm going to install 300 megawatts uh, uh, of capacity uh, at this required support level in euros per megawatt hour. Mm. And then the euros per megawatt hour uh, level that uh, that are the bids are then compared and the cheapest one is, uh, is selected. Um, so the question is how many of those you select mm. <laughs> and that is um, that is then the auction volume um, and we have seen uh, several different um, uh, implementations of that so you could you could say okay well I w that's what I had given as example I would like to have 500 megawatts installed 
um, another idea would be that uh, you can say, okay, well, here I have available um, uh, 500 million euros of support. Here you are. I'm going to um, give that out to you. Um, depending on how much you require in support, that will then um, correspond to X amount of megawatts being newly in installed. Mm. Um, so, so, so there are um, there are pros and cons for each of these. Uh, of course, the megawatt um, limit or the megawatt volume would give you um, quite a, a foreseeable um, development future, um, whereas the the uh, budget um, volume would give more security to state finances, for example, if they are uh, drawn from there, um, and they also they also would exploit price uh, decreases much better because then you can um, install more renewables if your prices are falling. So, mm. so there are different um, pros arguments. Okay. Related to the design, you have some pre-qualifications for for those entering with bids. How, what do pre-qualifications uh, consist of or how, how, how are they defined in, in auctions? In many implementations that we've seen, um, um, the auctioneer, which is typically the energy authority of the country or an ag energy agency, they ask for certain um, conditions that the bidders have to have to meet before they are allowed to place their bids in the auction. And um, the criteria, the conditions could be material, or physical, uh, or financial. So on the physical side. It is very common that the auctioneer asks for permitting documentation so that um, they can be sure that the projects have reached a certain stage of development. Mm. Um, and that is very important because um, one purpose of the auctions is to um, to secure the political renewable targets that we have. And um, of course, they need to be realized <laughs> once you award the project. And that, um, then they also you want to ensure that they are also realized and the capacities are being installed. Um, so in order to um, to help with that, uh, they often ask for these uh, physical pre-qualifications, including permitting, um, maybe, um, maybe a contract for a land lease. Um, so all sorts of project development uh, things. On the financial side, um, it is also very common to ask for um, money mm -hmm. um, so that you together with the bid, you place either cash um, or um, a bank guarantee in order to ensure a certain seriousness of the bid. Mm. Yes. So that uh, that it, it costs you something to place the bid um, to to uh, to ensure that there are no um, you could say not too many fake bids uh, or fake projects around um, and also to secure uh, um, the uh, the penalty payments that might uh, uh, arise uh, once you have been awarded a project. Mm. Um, usually. Um, they are there are penalties uh, related to uh, project delays or non-compliance if the project uh, the, the winning bidder withdraws, um, and there's also of course to help on project realization uh, on time and uh, at all, uh, also to avoid speculation regarding these uh, different regarding the different auctions. And um, so so you have to place this uh, this amount of money um, at the bid. So that you can um, that the auctioneer can 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 draw from this if if necessary. Mm. Yeah, it's a good idea. We we recommend to have both material and um, uh, financial prequalifications um, to ensure exactly the realization because that is a very important uh, part of the the whole uh, setup. It makes me think of a. Uh, I think it was a Danish case a few years ago where there was uh, a collection of of. People, uh, I, I guess, hundreds or thousands of people who went together to place a bid on on a large wind farm. I think it was, and I suppose it was in the pre-qualification round that they were disqualified against, I guess, larger commercial operators. Perhaps on uh, on one one of those subjects that that you just mentioned. Yeah, we also seen um, restrictions on on the bidders themselves. So some kind of. Um 
Yeah, so we have seen, for example, that they, um, uh, for a certain large projects, they um, they need to have a certain track record of mm. being able to op- to install and operate um, uh, wind farms, mm. um, or that they have a certain certain minimum uh, volume on the balance sheet. Um, things like that are rating is mm. also a c- criteria that we have seen, and that of course all. Uh, adds to that uh, increasing uh, seriousness. Um, um, but uh, you're right that um, we've seen cases where that, um, especially those pre-qualification criteria, they, they might exclude some smaller actors, some energy community-based um, uh, developments. And that, that is certainly an issue that we see. Mm. So yeah, just Touching upon that subject, uh, what characterizes the bidders in, in auctions? Um, I, I suppose you have any, any anything from from uh, individuals and communities to to large, well experienced companies, or anyone especially well equipped to participate in auctions. And then, what what are the issues related to that? Yeah, I think we also see that it depends a bit uh, on the timing of the auction or how you design it. If you're going uh, very early in, um, for example, if your auction um, support rights uh, without um, necessarily um, demanding permitting, then you can see a different type of bidders. Maybe they are more financial uh, investors or uh, small project developers, and then you go... The, the further you go along the project development phase, the later you go, the higher the sunk cost get mm. uh, on the project development. And there we see that more the the, the larger uh, firms come in and the larger um, uh, yeah uh, energy companies and uh, on a general rule. Mm. Um, we've, we've seen, for example, I mean, um, in order to avoid that, uh, some countries are or some policymakers are are trying to maybe give exemptions. Um, to smaller actors inside the auction. Uh, we've seen that, for example, in Germany, where energy communities, local, um, they did not have to have the permit. Mm. So they could they could a- uh, enter the auction at an earlier stage, and they also had a different pricing rule. And um, But uh, when you start doing these rules, you have to also be very well aware is th- that um, auctions, they create a competitive environment and the people acting in that environment, they become strat- strategists <laughs> and uh, competitive actors. So uh, what we've seen in the German wind auction was that all of a sudden 90% of all the awarded projects were commun- energy communities. <laughs> <laughs> and um, of course, we don't uh, uh, we don't expect that to be actual reality and when you dig a bit deeper into that um, the rules were designed so that you could rather easily qualify to be a local energy community uh, by having local uh, investors in and so people uh, try to circumvent the rule in order to get those favorable conditions and of course that's not uh, exactly what was intended. <laughs> um, yeah so there are some issues regarding that and um, on a very very general summarizing uh, note, you could say that um, the auctions are very good to create a competitive environment, which we like uh, for mature technologies. Uh, technologies are on, they are on the verge of, uh, of being uh, competitive, the dominant um, technologies in the market. And um, for a professional uh, mature industry as mm-hmm. well, um, Maybe not so much for the for the private smaller actors, the very low scale um, developments. So here we actually also in the project um, recommend to have uh, exemption rules for the very small, um, so that they are maybe do not have to participate in the auction. Um, that's 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 normally not what the purpose of the auction uh, revolves around. Um, we would like to have competitive market environment. We like to 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 identify uh, cheap cost projects and so on. And that's typically not what we see in those very small scale developments. So the purpose of the auction um, is uh, is targeted somewhere else. Sure. You can say. So you, maybe you can make that distinction that that by auctions you you try to achieve some value for money, whereas in the exemptions and in, in the subsidized projects of other kinds. 
you may want to achieve community engagement and and, and that kind of more uh, unrelated to maybe capacity and megawatt hour d- delivered, but more engaging communities. Yes, exactly. I think that that's what we call um, secondary policy goals in our um Reports. Uh, I mean, of course, you can argue <laughs> secondary to what. I mean, uh, we are we are um, a little bit interdisciplinary team, but most of us are us are economists. <laughs> so um, obviously, the primary goal is to um, uh, is price Clearly, <laughs> and yes. efficiency. So um, we do, we coined that term secondary policy goals, where you exactly have that. Um, the, these other ideas uh, with the development um, that you. Um, that you cannot that easily achieve uh, in auctions. Mm, mm. Just going into uh, the subject of risks, because I know that's a re- recurring subject in, in any kind of investment, especially these large infrastructure investments that you usually deal with in, in energy. Just one example is the sudden resistance to building wind turbines in a local area or other kinds of risks. Um, how do the bidders address risks overall in, in their projects. Uh, the winner's curse, curse you mentioned, mm-hmm. maybe one one aspect of it. So Yeah, so we do see that um, auctions as an instrument increases the risk for the developers. Mm-hmm. So um, on different levels. So one, of course, is obviously the uh, competition. Previously, it was super easy. Um, <laughs> no. Nah. Obviously not if uh, if you are a project developer, but um, it was very straightforward to um, to de- develop a project. It just needed to be profitable under the tariff that has been given to you. And um, under the auction, you're especially under a pay-as-bid pricing rule. You are responsible <laughs> for your own uh, well-being. You could sure. say right. Yeah, so yeah. Um, so so there's. There, there is some some risk related to um, your own um, capability of uh, putting the whole um, business case together. Having the correct yes. view of, yeah. of uh, yeah. reality. Well, and, and exactly. Yeah. Um, our view, obviously, is that the project developers are much better in doing that than the policymakers because they are directly there in the market and having the fingers mm-hmm. dirty and... Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but of course, it's a it's a higher risk that you, you, you can... Uh, uh, you have to argue, and then there's the whole uh, the competitive environment. That means that um, um, developing the project, I mean, participating in the auction entails that there are winners and losers, and that's the whole point of the auction. Mm. You, uh, you you have to create a competitive environment, which means that some of the projects will not be awarded. Otherwise, it's not a competition, and then the pricing, um, the pricing, uh, the strategic incentives to to bid the costs are not be uh, in place anymore. So uh, that obviously means that some of the projects that have been developed up until the bid level will not be awarded and will have to be abandoned. And that is an additional risk that we see. Um, of course, you could try to um, re-enter an auction again, but uh, that entails additional costs as well. Mm. One of uh, the cliches in investments and addressing risks are that any kind of investment is benefited by a long-term uh, secure framework condition or investment environment. And and your project is no exception to that. I think you mentioned that reliable long-term auction schedules are indispensable. Uh, you're right. So so what kind of, of long-term security would be beneficial in uh, as as what your experience shows from from the Oris project, <laughs> the industry as such is not as flexible as you might uh, love it to be. As a policymaker, you can say where you say, okay, well now we need uh, 500 megawatts, and uh, next year ah, we don't, and uh, next year we do need it mm. again. Um, you need to have some kind of a stability to to create certain pipeline of projects in the development, and uh, and there there needs to be a continuity and um, a signal. Um, that you are, um, you can start developing your project now um, with the target of entering the auction in two years' time or three years' time because it takes time. Mm. And uh, if you don't see that, you might uh, not want to uh, develop the project right now, maybe sit and wait for a bit um, or trying something else. And then um, the pipeline is not being developed. And then uh, when you undertake the auction, um, Maybe competition might not be there, or not the cheapest projects might be there for 
uh, forbidding and, uh, and and that can create a problem. So this 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 long term vision um, is important in order to not to make the auction function, but also to reach the poli the political targets that we have that we we want to have. Uh, I mean, in Denmark, uh, we want to be fully on renewable energies. We need to have the project uh, pipeline um, there. But that's another question, of course, if we need, if that will go through the auction or not. Uh. Sure. Moving on from ORS 1, uh, let's just briefly discuss uh, what your current project, ORS 2, is, is dealing with. I know that it's sort of a follow-up, uh, but perhaps you can just... Describe a bit of the motivation behind it and, and the methods that you apply and, and basically how you go about it. Yeah, the good thing about uh, a kind of a sequel of the project is that we are, the team is already there and we are already very much into the topic, uh, which is uh, very great. And um, what we can do right now is we can go much into much more into detail with analyzing different aspects of the auctions. And um, when we started Aurus, It was already. Uh, it was still a very new situation, and uh, not many, uh, as I said in the beginning, not many uh, auction schemes uh, were up and running, and uh, they hadn't been for a long time. So we didn't really have a lot of data. Mm. Um, so what we really uh, see, what we can do right now in in Aurus Two, is uh, um, getting data, doing monitoring, and do a, a, a full economic assessment of uh, of the uh, the auction um, that had been taking place, and we're also developing a big database on that and uh, going to put that online. and uh, And the other thing is that we're going, we are selecting several issues that we're going more into detail with. And one is um, the impact of auctions on financing, um, because we've seen that, of course, it increases risks and uh, to have the auctions and also. The whole investment world changes, so that's uh, what we are going to look at. And then there is this huge uh, question, or maybe the, the the elephant in the room. <laughs> you can say, so do we actually need auctions in the future? What mm. what are we doing with that? Because uh, we've seen um, technology cost decline. We've seen recent developments in Europe that are subsidy free. Um, projects are just being uh, installed, invested in around the policymakers without their um, the need to, to, to join any support scheme. And um, and inside the auctions, we've also seen zero bits mm. um, with the actual intention to actually uh, build those uh, in the future. We haven't seen anything built yet, but um, in the future. So we need to rethink the, the concept of auction, how we use it. And there are several different um, ideas around that. And uh, we are investigating that, obviously. We, I do not. Um, I do not think that um, the instrument of auction is obsolete as such. I think mm -hmm. we just need to rethink it in some way uh, to capture different things than only the uh, support, the net support, positive support payment, uh, as we've seen before. Uh, we can use it for many other things as well. Mm. So that's what we are going to work on now. One one interesting path I I find uh, I heard someone much smarter than me mention that the potential future for uh, for instead of the Danish oil and gas in the North Sea, Denmark may offer concessions for uh, for instance off offshore wind, so you actually reverse the the auction to be uh, investors placing bids for land or for sea in where to install their their capacity. Which is sort of the opposite of what we just uh, discussed today, uh, where where investors are getting paid to install <laughs> new capacity. Is is that part of the perspective on uh, in Oris too? It's certainly something that we look into. Mm -hmm. um, how that uh, how that is um, from from an economic um, concept, you could you could um, argue that I mean oil and gas they are scarce natural resources. And whoever is willing to pay for them, and it could could you could argue for that they for a case that they are you you auction that out, and obviously that's being done. And uh, but the same case uh, can apply for wind energy mm. if you if you see it as a as a scarce resource. Yeah, we we that that's certainly an idea, and um, we're looking into that. It's a way of allocating. Um, um future build out uh and if we have the same argument that um of control and managing the build of of renewables 
um, certainly negative support payments, <laughs> if you can say that, or mm. is an option of continuing mm. um, the idea. Um, we have no um, no publications on that yet. <laughs> okay, it's going to be interesting. My final question on on the prospects for Aorus two, and then you're welcome to add more details. But I've been intrigued by by the question of of the levelized cost of energy or the uh, euros per megawatt hour or whatever kind of energy price that that you typically apply in in let's say auctions, but also other projects. Um, I'm I'm wondering about the value of energy in particular hours or in particular geographies or uh, characteristics that not necessarily gets represented in a price per megawatt hour uh, bid. Um, can you maybe just uh, share your thoughts on 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 how that relates to to auctions of of renewable energy or how it doesn't? Yeah, again, it depends on the implementation uh, of uh, of the scheme. If you if you think about uh, the support payment as a, a fixed amount uh, of premium on top of the market price, it actually does not uh, completely conceal the signal that you get from the from the electricity electricity prices on um, if you should produce or how much you should produce yeah. or not. So um, so in that sense. Um, this is not a problem of auctions. Uh, in that sense, you can definitely work work your round uh, your way uh, around and capture market values the way you should, mm. um, or some way you should. Yeah. So, so that is uh, that is um, that is nothing I'm worried about, especially with the uh, decreasing um, amount of the support um, as as like share of your overall revenues. Um, but I agree that uh, we need to take care very much to, on, of capturing the value because in the future energy systems, we need to have uh, flexible production as well as consumption. And um, signaling through prices is a very important uh, part of it. And uh, that should be uh, should be captured in the design, think, thought into it. Okay. So I'll, I'll I think I'll withdraw that that uh, homemade uh, theory of of mine. I think you rebuffed it quite well. Uh, moving on to a, a final question, which is nothing or potentially nothing to do with auctions or or even renewables. Um, I'm curious if you have any recommendations for our listeners beyond going into the orusproject.eu website or the new website for the new project called Oris Two project.eu uh, and the papers that uh, we'll, sure to, we'll make sure to link to in, in the show notes of the po- this uh, episode. Yes, um, maybe I hope it's not uh, too commercial, you can say, but um, so uh, rather early in my academic career, I learned that um, it's, very, it's a very good idea before you start on a new subject. Um, to try to get an overview of something. And um, that's what I did when I started working on these auctions, um, to go into um, something that's called the New Palgrave Dictionary of Economics and uh, and read some of the overview articles that have been prepared uh, on the topic. And it's uh, it's they are written by uh, very renowned authors and um, they are very concise and clear, and I, I, I love to read those uh, articles. Unfortunately, uh, it's super expensive <laughs> to have uh, that dictionary. Um, but I know that, for example, in Denmark, um, a lot of libraries have on-site access, so you can go there and uh, read the the articles there. Um, and there is an, an online um, edition that you can uh, browse through. Great. So um, that would be my recommendation. Yeah, I, excellent I recommendation. That's a thing that I'll certainly look further into. I wasn't aware of, of uh, that dictionary, and hopefully I have uh, access to university, so uh, that that will be my weekend read, uh, perhaps. Thank you so much, Lena. It's been a pleasure, and, and I've learned a lot today, and uh, I guess the geek level was quite high sometimes, <laughs> but I, I hope our listeners also have, have learned a bit, and as always, your comments are welcome. But um, so far, thank you, Lena. My pleasure. Thanks for listening, and thanks to the DTU Media Lab, who provides the technology and software for us to bring you this podcast for free. And make sure to share this podcast if you like it, or send us your feedback. 
We keep it simple, so just get in touch by the email that you can find in the show notes. And if you really like it, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you have enjoyed this more long-form episode. We have one more coming out before we make a short break where I will finish my dissertation. Make sure to subscribe so you will always get the newest episodes when we publish them.